coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our very good friends at MyBookie. The NCAA basketball tournament is still in full swing. We're entering the Sweet 16. I think the games actually are tipping off right now as I'm recording this on Thursday night. And this is the part of the tournament where things get real. This is where the real money is made. So make sure that you don't miss out on a second of the action with MyBookie. All you have to do, guys, is go to MyBookie.ag. Use that promo code UGA. To get our exclusive deal, which is a 100% deposit bonus up to $1,000 for all brand new users. If you've been on the fence, guys, there really is no better time than now to jump on in. The next two weekends of the NCAA tournament, the Sweet 16, Elite 8, Final Four, National Championship game, are two of the best betting weekends of the entire sporting calendar. This is where the real money is made. So go ahead and jump on in today, guys. Again, it's mybookie.ag. Use that promo code UGA to get that deposit bonus up to $1,000. And as you guys know, I am your host, Tyler. And this was going to be the episode that Charlie, you guys know her, you love her, you remember her, the star of the podcast, right? This was going to be the episode where she was going to make her triumphant return. We're doing a, we were going to do a mailbag episode. Those questions are, are really starting to stack up. It's been a couple of weeks since we've done one, so we, we need to get to those questions as soon as we can, and that's what we were going to do today. Actually, there were actually some questions that Charlie really wanted to dive into. We had a, actually a gymnastics question, and Charlie, as an old gymnast herself, uh, really uh, feels pretty passionately about what's going on with the uh, the Gym Dogs program right now. So we were going to talk about a bunch of different things relating to the world of Georgia sports, obviously spring practice as well. But Charlie has lost her voice. I, I'm guessing allergies, that's what she thinks this. She hasn't gone to the doctor, of course. But apparently she can't talk right now. Or I, I guess she can physically talk. It just sounds terrible, allegedly. I haven't heard her talk. Just texting back and forth whether she said that it's a no-go. So hopefully next week she'll be ready to go. She'll be back up to 100% and we'll be able to get that mailbag episode next week. So we've got a ton of questions already. But if you guys have any questions, I know spring practice obviously is in full swing. And we're trying to keep you guys up to date with what we're learning each and every week during spring practice. But obviously, you know, there, there's things that we might miss. There might be some things that you're interested in that we're not covering. So hit us up, guys. If you have any questions, send those to us at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. If email is your thing, if you hit us up on Twitter, that's that's great too. You can find, that's probably the quickest way to get to us. And that's at glory underscore UGA. You can DM us. Our DMs are open. You can just tweet at us. You can find us on Instagram as well. So whatever works for you, there's a bunch of different ways you guys can get those questions to us. And we would love to have them and try to do our very best to answer as many questions as we possibly can next week and maybe the next week after that if we have enough questions. I don't want to leave anyone out because I hate to do that. I know you guys take the time to send your questions in and we want to be as interactive with you guys as we can. So we'll try to get to as many as we possibly can. But if you got them, send them on in and we will do our very best to get to them next week. But for this week, there's no Charlie. It's me flying solo here on the show today. So I had to think a little bit about Okay, so we had this plan. We're going to do a mailbag episode. So I got to call a little bit of an audible. So where am I going to take this show today? What direction are we going in? And so after thinking about it, I settled on the idea of doing an episode trying to identify some spring sleepers. Guys that aren't getting a lot of attention right now, going into spring practice, early on in spring practice, that I think have a chance to leave spring practice 
as not maybe not household names, but leave spring practice as guys that have left their mark, that have generated some buzz, and that people are going to be talking about the rest of the way through the offseason going into fall camp and put themselves in position to make an impact on this team. I think this is always a fun exercise, really, to try to predict those guys. Like, who are the overlooked players? Who's the player that nobody's talking about going to spring practice that's going to leave, having made that noise, having positioned themselves to play a major role on the team when the season kicks off in September here down the road? And the guys, there's always somebody. There's always somebody, usually more than one guy, who goes into spring, like, I don't want to say a nobody, but a name that, that's not really generating much buzz, that no one's really talking about, that no one's really considering to be a guy that's, that's going to be an impact player. There's always those guys that seem to come out of nowhere that leave the spring, kind of emerging as somebody that's going to end up being a major contributor for our team. I mean, the list is long, guys. I mean, just off the top of my head here over the past couple of years, I mean, Nas Stackhouse is a guy going to spring last year. Like, we, we felt he would be a depth piece, but who was talking about Nas Stackhouse as the rock for us to replace Jordan Davis as a zero-tech nose tackle? I mean, there was not a lot of conversation about Nas being that type of guy. It was more Zion Logue who was getting that attention going into spring practice last year but leaving spring practice, it was Nas. Like, Nas was the guy. And that kind of carried over through the offseason going to fall camp. And it's like, oh, yeah, now it's uh, now you're hearing more and more buzz that Nas is really making that move. And he's going to be that dude on the interior of the, of the defensive line. Going back to 2021, Robert Beal was the guy. Remember, guys, I know Robert Beal for the past few years has been a, a fixture on our defense. But let's not forget, Robert Beal was here for five years, man. What did Robert Beal do his first three years? Not much in terms of, like, playing actual downs on the field in our defense. He was a special teams guy. He was a depth guy. All the talk going into 2021 was Nolan Smith, Adam Anderson. Beal was an afterthought, and all he did was lead the team in sacks in 2021. We had had some hellacious rushers, too, and he led the team in sacks. Javon Bullard's another guy. I mean, going like even to fall camp of his freshman year, no one was talking really about Javon Bullard. It was Tyke Smith, right? Tyke Smith gets injured. And Bullard wasn't the guy right away, but he became an impact player for us as a freshman. And then even coming into this past year, 2022, like we knew who Bullard was and we felt he was going to be a guy that was going to have a role in the defense, but we thought he was going to be in a dogfight for that star position. And we didn't know he was going to be in as good as he was at the, at the star position, but lo and behold, like he becomes a star at that position. No pun intended there. A.D. Mitchell's another guy, you know, going into the spring of his first season on campus, you know, he's an early enrollee as a receiver. Nobody was talking about him. I mean, he was, remember, he was a three-star. Like he was, he was one of the lower-rated recruits in that class. No one was talking about A.D. Mitchell being an impact player his freshman year going into spring. No one. I mean, we weren't. No one else was. I mean, I defy you to find somebody who was talking about A.D. Mitchell as that guy going into his, his early enrollee spring practice. He left the I mean, Early on in spring, you start to hear some buzz. And he left the spring as a guy. It's like, okay, this dude's going to play for us. Brock Bowers, much the same thing, same year. Now, I will say I was screaming from the rooftops from this, the moment we signed Brock Bowers that, that he was going to be an absolute dude. He was going to be a monster. But even I didn't anticipate he was going to be that good that early. I thought maybe by the end of his career, he'd be that guy. And I thought he'd make an impact early on. I just didn't know he was going to be like Brock Bowers. I know he was going to be that guy. But I felt he was going to do a little something. I just didn't know it was going to be that much. Uh, and here's another guy, Dacian Edwards. All the talk going into last spring at the running back position was Kenny McIntosh. It was Kendall Milton. We signed Branson Robinson, this five-star freak athlete out of Mississippi. Dejan was that afterthought. He was just that dude that got some garbage time carries his first couple years, but no one really saw him as a smaller guy that didn't seem to be especially fast or especially strong, especially powerful. Like we didn't, No one really was looking at him as a guy that was going to be as impactful as he was in 2022, but we all know what ended up happening there. He became our, our go-to guy in short yardage situations, especially down on the goal line. 
And those are just a few names off the top of my head. There's always somebody, and there's usually more than one somebody, that enters the spring entirely off the radar, but leaves the spring on everybody's radar. So I thought it would be fun today to try our hand at identifying who those guys might be for the 2023 team. The guys that are nobody's radar right now, or at least not on many people's radars, but are going to be on everybody's radar here in a couple of weeks. Now, this would have been ideally an episode we would have done before spring practice kicked off, but I mean, to be honest with you, the idea didn't hit me. It hit me this week when Charlie told me she couldn't do the episode. So we're going to roll with the day. It's early enough in spring practice. We haven't had a ton of information rolling out. We haven't had our first scrimmage. We've only had a couple of practices in full pads right now. So I still think it works. I still think it's early enough for this to work. And this is going to be a combination of things, guys. The, the, the dudes that I'm going to identify here, this is based on a couple of things. It's going to be based off my observations, what I've seen of these guys, whether it's if it's freshmen, if it's early enrollees, what I've seen from them from their high school tape. Uh, if it's guys that have been around the program for a little while, a little while, what I've seen from them in their in their spares playing time when they've actually gotten opportunities out there, it's also going to be based on some things I'm hearing behind the scenes. I'm not going to sit here and, and try to allege that I'm some sort of Georgia football insider. I'm not, but living in Athens, uh, I do know a few people and I have a few sources and I'm able to glean a few things here and there. So that's certainly part of the calculus here as well. But let's go ahead and dive into this. I've got a bunch of different names here. I'm going to run through them. We're going to start on the offensive side of the ball because I've only got a, a couple of names here on that side of the ball. This is primarily defensive heavy. I think there's more opportunities on defense right now. We're losing some key contributors there. So, so I'm a little defense heavy today, but I do want to kick things off with some offensive players. And I'm going to start with a guy that I've talked about a couple different times on this podcast. In fact, when we did our 2023 recruiting class deep dive for the offensive side of the ball, I told you guys on that episode when I did it, what was that? You know, about a month ago when National Sign Day was, about a week after that, so a month or so ago. But I told you guys that of the two tight ends that we signed in the 2023 class, I felt that Lawson Lucky was more likely to make an impact in year one than Pierce Sperlin was. And that ran somewhat counter to conventional wisdom at least based on their recruiting rankings. Now, both these guys are highly rated dudes. They're both four stars, but Sperlin was a top 100 guy in the 247 composite. He was number 76 nationally, 6'6", 240, came in with a better reputation as like I'm a pass-catching type guy. Lucky, again, highly rated. He was a four-star guy, top 150 guy. I think he was one, yeah, 143 nationally, looking at it right here. But I tell you guys pretty often when we're talking about recruiting on this show, don't always pay attention to the rankings. Now, the rankings usually do a good job with that, right? It's usually pretty indicative of the talent of a player. It, it often is. They get it right more often than they get it wrong. But still, even so, I'm always an advocate of you actually watching the tape. Watch it for yourself. Make up your own mind. Don't rely on what some dude in a basement has told you about a player. What some dude in his office in suburban Tennessee is telling you to think about a player. Make up your own mind. If you listen to this podcast, you know ball. You know football. This is for the hardcore fans the diehards. You guys, you know what's up. Watch the tape for yourself. Just because a guy's ranked 76 and one dude's ranked 143 nationally doesn't mean the dude that's ranked 76 is automatically going to make a bigger impact and be a better player. It's just not how it works. Now, when it comes to Law- to Lawson Lucky versus Pierce Sperlin, I will say that I, I was kind of hesitant to put that out there because there was part of me that was wondering, like, like is this kind of confirmation bias? Because, look, I, I live in Georgia. I'm a Gwinnett County native. Don't live in Gwinnett County anymore. My parents still do. But I, I watch a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of high school football. And, you know, 
Lawson Lucky's a dude that played at Norcross High School. He was on TV a couple different times here in the state of Georgia. So I was able to watch him, not just this year, but over the past couple of years, more than I've seen Pierce Sperling. I haven't seen Pierce Sperling play a full game. I've seen high, high school clips. I mean, see like highlight tapes, right? Which can tell you something, but it doesn't tell you everything. I, I prefer to see full games because highlight tapes just show you the best plays and show you what they do on a down-in, down-out basis. So it's not as good of a way to measure these players, but it's better than nothing. But I was always kind of like wondering, is am I higher on Lucky just because I've seen him more? So I was kind of hesitant to throw that out there, but I, I kind of had to go with what I had seen. And I felt like Lawson Lucky was going to be better positioned to make an early impact in 2023 as a freshman than Pierce Sperlin. And this was not an indictment on Pierce Sperlin. I think Pierce is going to be fantastic. I, I hate that he broke his collarbones and be out for a couple months. Which gives Lawson Lucky even greater of a chance, right? Because now we only have three scholarship tight ends that are healthy for the spring. So he's going to get even more reps and have more of a chance to make an impression with the coaches. But even prior to that, I mean, both these guys are early enrollees. I felt like Lucky was a guy that was a more proficient blocker, a more willing blocker, and a more capable blocker than Pierce Sperlin was at this stage in their respective careers. Why does that matter? Because I think blocking proficiency for these two tight ends, these two true freshman tight ends, is the quickest path to playing time as a true freshman. Because you have to think about who we have on the roster right now, guys. Brock Bowers is not just the the best offensive weapon that we have. Brock Bowers is not just the preeminent tight end in the country. Brock Bowers is one of the premier players in all of college football, regardless of position. He is going to be featured in this offense. He is the featured weapon. He happens to also play the exact same position. So despite the fact that, yes, we do run a lot of formations with multiple tight ends. We don't. We run a lot of 12 personnel. We ran some 13 personnel in 2021. Not really much at all outside the goal line in 2022, which was somewhat of a surprise for me. But we have two tight ends on the field at least the past couple of years, at least 50% of the time. But Bowers is still going to command the vast majority of those looks in the passing game from the tight end position. And then you also have Oscar Delp, who I'm still extraordinarily high on, who's put on some good weight, doing some really good things in fall camp, or in spring practice right now. And this is the guy that's that's going to be the second tight end. So who are you looking for in that third tight end? Are you looking for a guy that's going to go out there and, and, and create major mismatch problems in the pass game? Like, sure, that's a luxury, but that's not really what you need. You need a guy that can go in there. If you're going to use 13 personnel, if you're going to give Delp a breather here or there, if you or you need him for a specific you know formation when we're trying to run the football, you need someone who can block. And Sperlin's just not there right now. Like he can get there. He's just not there like from a technical standpoint. He just didn't do a ton. I mean, that dude basically played receiver in high school. I mean, he was he was flexed out like, the vast majority of the time. If you go watch his tape. Lucky did that. I mean, he was flexed out. He's athletic himself, but he also played in line far more than Sperlin did. He was asked to block, whether it was in line, whether it was out there in the perimeter, far more than Sperlin was asked to do that. So I felt that he was just a more proficient blocker at this stage, and that would allow him the opportunity to get on the field earlier than Sperlin. And to go along with that, I also felt like, you know, Sperlin's a fantastic pass catcher. Like, this dude, again, basically played receiver in high school, more or less. That's essentially how they used him. So he's he might have been a step ahead of Lucky, coming out of high school in terms of you know his ability as a pass catcher and what he was asked to do and his versatility there in that role. But I didn't think it was a dramatic difference. I mean, I, yes, I would say coming out of high school that Sperlin was the more proficient receiver, but he also got more opportunities. Lucky, when he got opportunities in the Norcross offense, was very dangerous in the passing. He's a guy that can make things happen after the catch. He's got a nice catch radius, controls his body. He's a really, really good athlete, got good feet, got good speed. He can absolutely be a weapon in the pass game. And I guess my reasoning was I felt that Lucky was closer to Sperlin's pass catching ability 
than Sperlin was to Lucky's blocking ability. That's what it came down to. So I felt like Lucky was the guy that was going to have the opportunity. And everything that I'm hearing through the first week and a half of spring practice right now is that, yeah, Lawson Lucky's a dude. Lawson Lucky is, is, is who I thought he was and maybe even a little bit better than that. He's a guy that is position, positioning himself for playing time as a true freshman early in his career. And that was even before the Pierce Sperlin injury. And now with that injury, that's just going to give him even more of an opportunity to open up that door even more. Because again, guys, we only have four scholarship tight ends right now. If one of them's down, we got three dudes. You got Bowers, you got Delp, and now you got Lawson Lucky. And Lucky is a guy that I strongly believe is going to play and play quite a bit for us this season. Now, is he going to have a Brock Bowers level impact as a true freshman? No, of course he's not because Brock Bowers is still here. You can't really have a Brock Bowers level impact when that dude's still here because you're just not going to get the opportunities. But I do think Lucky will get opportunities, and I think he will make the most of those opportunities. I think he is going to impress some people when he gets the opportunity to get out there on that football field this season. All right, next up, let's stay on the offensive side of the ball for one more player, and let, let's go another pass catcher. Not a tight end, because we don't really have any more tight ends to talk about. I could have gone with Oscar Delp. I think that's too obvious. Like People know who Oscar Delp is. I mean, that's 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 not really a sleeper. I mean, people expect him to be a guy that's going to be the number two tight end and play a bunch of snaps for us this year, so I'm not going to go there. The The second guy I'm going to go with on offense is a guy that did play quite a bit for us as a true fresh and didn't make as much of an impact as a true freshman as, as he probably would have liked, but hey, I mean, it's just whatever, you, as I always say, what you get from a true freshman is a luxury. You can't really count on that. But we had some injuries at that position. Obviously, A.D. Mitchell going down for uh, basically the entire year with a sprained ankle. Um, don't know how that works, but that's how that worked. But Dylan Bell came in. He was not an early enrollee last year, guys. He came in in the summer. He was a summer enrollee and instantly made some waves in fall camp. It was impressing coaches started to hear his name like right off the bat in fall camp. And lo and behold, you know, when AD goes down, like Dylan Bell is thrust into a bigger role. Now, he did not make, uh, again, a significant impact in terms of, of catching passes and touchdowns and yards and all that. But he did start five games for us. Had what, I think he had 20 catches for 180 yards, three touchdowns, modest numbers, nothing spectacular there. But I saw some good things from Dylan Bell. I mean, he's a true freshman. It's tough for guys to go out there. I mean, there are dudes that go out there from year one and, and just are ballers right away at receiver. Of course there are. Now, it certainly helps you're an early enrollee. Dylan was not. But now that he's going through his first spring on campus, I think this is a guy that could take a pretty big step forward. And I, I call him a sleeper. Because I don't think it's a sure thing. I mean, there's names that people are talking about far more commonly than talking about Dylan Bell. Dylan Bell is like an afterthought right now. Nobody's really talking about Dylan Bell. People are talking about Dominic Lovett and Ra Ra Thomas, the transfers. Of course, Lad McConkey. You can't forget about Lad. I mean, even Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saints getting a little bit more conversation than Dylan Bell. Arian Smith, people are talking about, can this guy stay healthy after what he did in the college playoffs? Those are the guys people are talking about the receiver position. Dylan Bell, even though he started five games for us last year, is not really being talked about as a guy that people have high expectations for going into 2023. And look, I, I do believe in Dominic Love, and that guy is going to be a superstar for us. I love Lad McConkie. You guys know how I feel about Lad. I'm a big Marcus Rosemey Jacksank guy. I love all those guys. I think Rara Thomas is going to make a make some plays for us this year. But I, I just can't shake the feeling that Dylan Bell is a guy that we're overlooking right now. That this is a guy that got some experience last year. Now he's going through his first full spring. He has that offseason with the program. He was already physically ready to be a big-time player for us. He's just more of a, a learning phase for him last year. I mean, this guy is 6'1", 210. Like, physically, he is filled out. Like, he's a physical guy. 
and he showed me a little get up at times. I think he can move pretty well. Now, is he an Arian Smith level burner? No, he's not that kind of guy, but he moves well. I think he's got an ability to be a good route runner. I think he can go up and make tough contested catches. I think at the very least, he can be a good possession receiver for us, but I also believe he has a little bit more juice in him than that. But he's a guy that with the experience he had last year and the fact that he was able to gain the trust of the coaches and impress the coaches as quickly as he did in fall camp, which is not as much about working on you. That's more like the first couple of weeks. Yeah, sure. But pretty quickly, you're trying to get ready for the season. It's not spring practice where it's pretty much all just fundamental stuff, working on you, trying to develop, trying to get better. He didn't get all of that. He didn't get the entire offseason with the team. But now he has an entire year of playing under his belt, started five games. Now he has that offseason under his belt. I think this is a guy, you know, come G-Day, we might leave out. We might leave Sanford Stadium that day and say, man, Dylan Bell looked good. He might be one of those guys. So I certainly don't want to overlook him, even though we have a ton of receivers that I do think are going to be impact players for us. I think Dylan Bell is going to find a role, just like he did last year, and, and do some really good things for this 2023 Georgia football team. All right, guys, before we move on to the defensive players on my list, I do want to quickly once again remind you about our guys at my bookie. Not only has March Madness begun, we are in full swing of March Madness. And guys, now's the time. Now is the time. It's now or never for you to shoot your shot and score big with all the nonstop NCAA tournament action with my bookie. I just placed a couple future bets myself on my bookie. Actually, this afternoon, right before these games started, I got a, I put a little bet on UConn to win the national championship. I put a, a couple bets on predicting the, the final matchup, the, the final game matchup. So I, I put a little bit of money on a couple different combinations there. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about this, guys. I've got a situation where I think I'm going to win some money with some of these future bets. I've watched enough basketball this year, a ton of basketball this year. You know, the first round, you know, the first two rounds are always like, I think it's the most fun to watch because that's where the crazy upsets happen, but it's hard to win money because crazy upsets happen. Now is the time where you can cash in on all of that basketball you've watched all season long. Where you can, even if you didn't watch much basketball during the regular season, now that you watch that first weekend, you guys got a feel for it, right? Go ahead and cash in on it. And all you have to do, guys, is go to mybookie.ag. Getting started is so simple. Go to the website. Make your first deposit. Use our promo code UGA to claim that exclusive 100% deposit bonus up to $1,000 for all new users. It's so simple, guys. Again, it's promo code UGA. Claim a little extra cash on top of that initial deposit. So with hundreds of thousands in prizes for March Madness, their weekly blackjack, which is always going, you can turn your game day into payday with my bookie. So do it now, guys. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. All right, guys, let's flip things over to the defensive side of the ball. I got a couple of players I want to, I want to talk about. The first one is a guy that Curtis and I completely overlooked ourselves when we were recording our What We Learned About Week 1 of Spring Practice episode on Sunday. We were talking about the safety position, you know, Dan Jackson being out talking about some of the injuries, and we didn't know Dan was going to be out for the entire spring. We were talking about what kind of, the, what kind of injury it was and who might benefit and be able to take advantage of Dan being out for the spring. And we talked about Tyke Smith, talked about Janelle Aguero, we talked about David Daniel. Well, one guy that neither one of us mentioned, I'll be entirely honest with you guys, a complete oversight on my part, because I've been working on a profile on him for Dogs Daily over the past couple of days, and I completely whiffed on it. It didn't even come to my mind, even though I've been working on this profile, looking stuff up, and trying to do some research, and I didn't even talk about him. So if somebody like myself, who's writing a profile on the guy, didn't bring him up on the podcast, we're going to talk about the safety position, we're trying to handicap that battle, 
I think by definition, he's got to be a sleeper at the safety position. And I'm talking about Ja'Cory Thomas, rising sophomore Ja'Cory Thomas. Now, this is a guy who was overlooked coming into his first season last year. Now, obviously, Malachi Starks was the headliner at safety in that recruiting class, right? But Ja'Cory Thomas is a guy, when I watched his high school tape, I watched it, I looked at it, watched it over and over again, and I'm like, what am I missing here? He was a three-star prospect for a large chunk of the 2022 cycle. You know, obviously, he commits to Georgia, gets a little bit of a Georgia bump. And the way that the recruiting analysts explain away, like, the, the Bama bump or the Georgia bump, it's like, oh, we, well, we weren't, you know, so many players out there, we're not really playing, we can't pay attention to all of them, but when Georgia or Bama offers them, all of a sudden, we pay attention to them because that means they must be good if those guys are offering them. So we'll pay a little bit more attention, and then we'll adjust their ranking accordingly. But I was watching him, like, even though he got moved up to a four-star by the end of the cycle, he was still only ranked in the 300s, like, let me look it up here, 311 nationally. He was only ranked as the 25th best safety in the country. And I'd watch his tape, and I'd be like, hmm, I'm pretty sure he's better than that. But then you start to doubt yourself a little bit, because all, like, all these recruiting services can't be wrong, right? Well, I mean, yeah, sometimes they can. I mean, they get a lot of stuff right. They do. I don't want to completely bash them here. But yeah, they're also wrong sometimes. And I just, I would watch his tape, and I'd be like, all right, I don't know what I'm missing. This guy can move. He's got some pretty good length. He's a really good tackler. He can fill the lanes. He's got good ball skills. Like, what am I missing on this guy? Why is this guy not ranked higher? And then as a freshman last year, he didn't really crack the lineup. You know, we had there's some opportunities there, obviously, with uh, Dan Jackson going now, the going down, the money position, our dime package was open, but David Daniel was able to lay claim to that position. He'd been around a little bit longer. But that doesn't mean Ja'Cory Thomas is not a good player. Ja'Cory Thomas is, is a talented guy. And I'm not sitting here telling you that he is going to win that safety battle opposite Malachi Starks. I don't know that he will, but I also think it's a mistake to completely discount him. I think he's a guy that might not be on anybody's radar right now, but for some of these guys, that makes them hungry. And I, dude, I'll be honest with you guys. I love these. I know that you, obviously, ideally, you want the, the highest rated guys. You want the most talented players. You want these five-star guys because they're five stars usually for a reason, right? But sometimes there's something about these dudes that are undervalued in the recruiting rankings. These guys are hungry. If they're built the right way, they're hungry. They got a chip on their shoulder. They got something to prove. You know, we're talking about the Stetson Bennett's of the world, the Lab McConkeys of the world, the A.D. Mitchells of the world to a degree. These guys have something to prove. They feel like they were overlooked. They feel like they were disrespected. And look, I don't know enough about Ja'Cory Thomas to tell you how he's built. He hasn't been around long enough. But if he's built like a Lad McConkey in terms of want to go out and, and, and prove people wrong, and he plays that chip on his shoulder like a Stetson Bennett, this guy has the talent, man. He has a talent to to certainly factor into that safety battle. And I will tell you, I, I know for a fact, talking to people, you know, going into the season last year, the coaches like Ja'Cory Thomas. Now, just because they like you doesn't mean that you're going to win the job. You got to have to go out there and earn it. But they really liked what they saw from him when he came in last year as a freshman. And I, I do think that bodes well for him going to spring practice. We might not be talking about him. He not he might not be on on everyone's radar. He might not be the topic of conversation on podcasts like ours, but this is a guy I think has a legitimate chance to, to make a move this spring. Now, again, is he going to win it? I don't know. Like, there's, there's a number of guys that are talented in that position, whether it's, you know, again, David Daniel, whether it's Tyke Smith potentially trying to make a move there, cross training, Janelle Aguero, a highly touted freshman coming in from the great white North coming in from Massachusetts of all places. But Thomas is a good player in his own right, man. And I, again, I think it would be a mistake to completely discount his his opportunity to factor into this safety battle, which is really what Curtis and I did earlier in the week. And I feel bad about that because it's ridiculous, man. I was working on a profile for the guy and didn't even bring him up. So yeah, got to mention Ja'Cory Thomas. There's a guy that can absolutely find his way in that starting lineup. Or I don't know if we have a rotation safety. We don't tend to do that. But if we did, I think mean, he's a guy that could certainly be a part of that. 
All right, moving on here, guys. I'm gonna go for it. I'm gonna go with a two for one special on this next one because I'm in love with both these guys. It's really, really hard for me right now to differentiate between the two. I don't know who I like more. I go back and forth. But Raylan Wilson and CJ Allen at inside linebacker are the truth, guys. They are the real deal. Now, I did hesitate to put them on this list because the starters at inside linebacker are pretty well set, right? Pop Dumas Johnson, Smile Mondin coming back from last year. It's extraordinarily unlikely that C.J. Allen or Raylan Wilson, no matter how talented they are, no matter how high their ceilings are, is highly, extraordinarily unlikely that they will unseat Pop and Smile. Don't see that happening. But that also doesn't mean they're not going to play. We have shown the past that we are willing to rotate our inside linebackers. It just depends on our comfort level. How many guys do our coaches feel like need to play? You go back to 2017, we had three guys, right? You had Nature's Patrick, obviously Roquan Smith, and had Reggie Carter. 2018, it was really a four-man rotation in 2018. You had Monty Rice, we had Jawan Taylor, had Tay Crowder, had Nature's Patrick. So if you are good enough, if the coaches think you deserve to play, that you can bring us something, you're absolutely going to play. And if you look at this year, what we have the inside linebacker position, I think we're stacked, but partly because of the ins- of the of the true freshman inside linebackers. Tresa Marshall transferred to Alabama. He knew that he wasn't going to play. He knew, or he wasn't going to play as much as he felt like he should or that he wanted to. Can't blame the guy. Whatever goes to Alabama. Alabama's taking our backups now to be their starters. That's that's kind of where we are now in in college football. But so you have you have Smile, you have Pop as starters. Ryan Davis is a guy who who, who started a couple games for us last year when Smile was out with an injury. But, but Ryan, I mean, he's a good player. Ryan is a good player. But physically, he's not the type of player from a physical standpoint that either C.J. Allen or Raylan Wilson are. Like He doesn't have that kind of speed. He doesn't have that kind of athleticism. He doesn't have that kind of explosiveness. He just doesn't. Doesn't mean he's not good. Doesn't mean he can't make some plays. Or he did do some really good things for us last year. But if they can learn this system, if these freshmen can learn the system and earn the coach's trust from like a mental standpoint, physically, it's no contest. Physically, they are that much better than Ryan Davis. I think at least one of these guys is going to be a regular fixture in the rotation. Honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if both of them are. It really wouldn't. It would not surprise me if both these guys pass up Ryan Davis. And like I know that sounds like I'm ripping Ryan Davis. I'm not trying to. I'm just trying to be objective here, guys, trying to tell you what I, what I think. I think Ryan Davis is a good player. I just don't think he's going to be as good as Raylan Wilson and C.J. Allen. These guys are long. They are fast. They are physical. They tackle well. They fill holes. They play with good technique at, as, at a young age. These guys are 100% absolutely the real deal. Really all it comes down to for me is how quickly can they mash the system? How quickly can they earn the trust of the coaches from a mental standpoint? I have zero questions when it comes to their physical ability. Absolutely zero questions when it comes to that. So I'm really, really excited about these guys. I'm pumped to get out there and see what they can do during G-Day and see what kind of progress they have made through their first spring on campus. All right, guys, got a couple more here. Let's go to the defensive line. I know I've talked about him before. I know. I know when we did our signed day recap episode, I, I waxed poetic about him. I'm going to do it again. So this is not probably anything new to you if you listen to that episode, but I think I'm already in love with Jordan Hall. I think I already have a man crush. I really do. I think this guy is going to be an absolute force to be reckoned with on the interior of our defensive line for a while to come here for a couple of years for three years. So he's not going to be he's not going to be here after three years, barring some crazy injury. Knock on wood for the guy. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he is going to be Jalen Carter as a true freshman. Like he's not going to be what Jalen Carter was last year for us as a true freshman. Like that's that's asking a bit much. It is a man's league in the trenches in the SEC. We know this. 
But fortunately for us, Jordan Hall, I don't care if he's 18, 19 years old, dude's a man. He's an absolute monster. He is a physical freak. I Again, I hate to put expectations on guys and make those comparisons this early in their career. I don't think that's exactly fair to them, but I know people like comps. I think he's as close to Jordan Carter as anyone that we have on our roster, and that includes Bear Alexander. I really like Bear. I'm not trying to say the Bear's not good. I'm not trying to, to bash him at all. I think Bear's going to be really good for us. I just think Jordan Hall has a higher ceiling. Jordan Hall is closer to what Jalen Carter was in terms of the combination of quickness, athleticism, and just outright raw power. He's an animal. He is an animal. Now, does he need to sharpen up on his technique? Of course he does. So did Jalen Carter when he was a true freshman. You know what? Jalen Carter in 2020 also played a lot for us as a true freshman, also made an impact, even though he was he was raw coming in. Like This guy really didn't play defensive line full-time until his senior year in high school. So he was certainly raw at that position coming out of high school, but it didn't matter because the talent's so obvious. You know what? We have guys get paid millions of dollars to coach these guys up on the defensive side of the ball, and it's their job to take that raw talent, even if it's raw, and get it ready to play. And I think it's exactly what's going to happen with Jordan Hall. Is he going to be a, the starter at three tech right away? No, I, I don't expect that. I would still say Bear Alexander is probably the, the favorite there at this point. But man, do not sleep on Jordan Hall. I'm telling you, this guy is going to be the next great dominant top 10 NFL draft pick on Georgia's defensive line. And you can take that one to the bank. Like if my bookie was putting out odds on like who's the next Georgia defensive lineman to be the, 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 a top 10 draft pick, I'd put all that money on Jordan Hall. That dude is the real deal. Just wait just wait and watch, guys. Just, just watch. It's going to happen. All right. And finally here, guys, the last player on my list of spring sleepers is a guy that I mean, it's hard to classify him as a sleeper because he was a highly rated guy coming out of high school. But the reason I'm going to classify him as a sleeper for our purposes is he was not, while he was highly rated, he was the lowest rated of the three signees at his position in this 2023 class. And I'm talking about edge player, Jack linebacker, Gabe Harris. Damon Wilson was the headliner at outside linebacker. He was the highest rated recruit in the class. Got him late in the class out of Venice, Florida. 6'3 225, number 20 player nationally, five-star player. And then you have Samuel and Pimba, who was a five-star for the vast majority of the cycle out of IMG, dropped to a, a very high four-star in the final 247 composite rankings. Top 50 player overall nationally, number 47 overall. And Gabe Harris, again, it's hard to call him a sleeper when he's a top 100 player. He was ranked 65th nationally himself. But again, of the three guys we brought in, talk about a hell of, a, of an outside linebacker class. I mean, you got three guys in the top 65, that's that, that's loading up. But he was the lowest rate of those guys. And he was the one that in this class, I'm not going to say he never got talked about, but he wasn't mentioned the way that Mpimba was and the way that Damon Damon Wilson was. Like Those guys got far more the attention in this 2023 class than Gabe Harris did. And watching the tape, I don't know, man. I, I don't see that dramatic of a difference. In fact, I would say, and I've said it before in this podcast, I'll say it again. I think Gabe Harris coming out of high school is a more polished edge rusher than Samuel Mpimba. I do think from a physical standpoint, long-term, and Pimba has a higher ceiling, I do not think that he is as developed from a technical standpoint at this stage in his career as Gabe Harris is. And that's why I believe a guy like Gabe Harris could potentially, of those three edge rushers, be a guy that through spring practice 
is the one that kind of positions himself ahead of Mpimba and potentially even ahead of Damon Wilson to get those reps as a true freshman. Now, Wilson's awesome. I think Mpimba is a physical freak. I've said it before. I'll say it again. He's he's like the first guy off the bus type guy. Like He's jacked up. He's ripped. I mean, he's cut, man. Like Mpimba is, is a physical dude. But Harris, I mean, just watch his tape, guys. I mean, he, they both played at IMG. I think Harris... What, again, didn't see full games. I, I like to try to watch full games as much as I can. Did not see a full IMG game this year. But what I saw of Harris, I feel like coming out of high school, that he showed more technical proficiency than Mpimba did. Now, Wilson, I, I, he's probably the best of the bunch. But I, I don't think, again, I don't think there's a dramatic difference between what I saw from Gabe Harris and Damon Wilson coming out of high school. I really, really don't. I know the rankings tell you differently, and Wilson's going to be awesome. But I think Harris has a chance here, especially with the increased reps that he's going to get along with the other true freshmen when you have guys like Jalen Walker and Marvin Jones Jr. both out for the spring. There's more reps to go around. So if he if he attacks it and, and approaches it the right way and uses those reps to his advantage, he can absolutely make a move, gain some momentum, and get the, get the attention of the coaches and be a guy that's on their radar going into fall camp. So there you have it, guys. Those are my spring sleepers. I didn't even bother to count up how many guys that was. How many guys was that? So that was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. If you count the two-for-one special with the inside linebackers. So seven spring sleepers for you guys. So it's just some names to watch. Some names to watch that maybe aren't getting a lot of conversation that are kind of under the radar right now. But I think these might be guys that you're going to hear some buzz around over the coming weeks heading into G-Day and leaving spring practice heading into the offseason. But I'm not quite done with today's episode, guys. We don't have a Friday 5 episode today. We're not going to have one. I'm not going to get three episodes out this week. I had some personal stuff I had to take care of middle of the week, so I kind of pushed things back a little bit. But I do have a couple things outside of the world of Georgia football that I want to draw a little bit of attention to. So I'll come back and do that quickly. But first, I want to remind you guys about our friends at Alumni Hall. They just got another shipment of some really cool Nike polos, new Nike gear. Guys, this is the time of year all that Nike stuff starts to hit the shelves. They have their spring gear, then we'll have their summer gear late May, early June. But right now, that spring stuff's hitting the shelves. And guys, it's, it's pretty good looking stuff. Some pretty cool stuff from Nike. So if you're into the Nike gear, the polos, the golf polos, go ahead, head to Alumni Hall in-store in the inside the Ebsbridge Shopping Center here in the Classic City or online if you're not in the area. Just go to alumnihall.com. they got all the great Nike gear, but it's not just Nike stuff. They've got any brand that you that you like, whatever you prefer, whether it's Cutter & Buck, whether it's Southern Tide, Peter Millar, Johnny O, which you guys know I'm a big fan of. They've got it all, so stop in today. Check them out online, alumnihall.com, because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. All right, guys, just a couple of quick things here outside of the world of Georgia football that I want to draw some attention to. You guys know I, I love all things Georgia sports. And I want to try to give some of these programs a little bit of love. So last week on the Friday Five, I was promoting heavily, I was heavily promoting a big-time matchup between the men, Georgia men's tennis team and Tennessee here in Athens on Saturday afternoon. And dude, it not only did it live up to the hype, it exceeded any expectations I've had. I There's been a couple of Georgia tennis matches that have been extraordinarily memorable for me. I think they're all great environments. They really are. They're all fantastic environments. But there's a couple that have just taken it to another level. I, I want to say, was it 20, 2018, 2019, one of those years when we had Florida at home and Florida was really good? I mean, it was absolutely bananas that that night. I mean, it was a Friday night. God, that was that was so awesome. And the Friday night matchups, when it's a big matchup like that, those are so much fun. But this Saturday matchup against Tennessee was right up there. It rivaled any 
Georgia regular season tennis environment that I have ever been a part of. Now, when, when the NCAA tournament's here, that's a totally different thing. That's a totally different animal. But as far as regular season goes, this matchup with Tennessee, man, like it was, it it was up there, man. I don't want to say it was the best regular season Georgia tennis environment I've been a part of, but it was certainly in the conversation. And what made it even better was the the drama, the way it played out, guys. I mean, I know I I talk a lot about Georgia tennis, and most of you are like, Whoa, what what are you, what is this guy doing? But I'm just telling you guys, like. The drama of college tennis outside of college football is unparalleled in the college landscape. It, it is. I know it's not a mainstream sport. Trust me, guys. I I, I have self awareness. I understand this. But I'm just telling you, if you're into the if you're into Georgia, if you're into Georgia sports, and you care about the G, and you just like sports, and you like competition, and you like sports drama, you're not going to find anything better than college tennis outside of college football. You're just not. Not on college campuses. I mean, guys, I watch, I go I go to softball, I go to baseball, I've been to volleyball, go to basketball, go to tennis. I've even been to swimming, guys. I've been, I've been to all these things. Living in Athens, I'm fortunate to be able to attend a lot of these things. And tennis takes the cake outside of football. I mean, it's just, it's hands down. It's not even close. Men's tennis, women's tennis, it's just the way it is. And if you don't believe me, cool, that's cool. I would just challenge you to come up and take in a match, especially a big match like that Tennessee match. We have a huge match against Kentucky next Friday. The women are at home this weekend. Uh, actually, tomorrow night, I'll be heading over there to the Dam and Go Tennis Complex to take in that match. But again, going back to the matchup against Tennessee on Saturday, guys, like we were down. We lost a doubles point. It was looking bleak. It was looking very bad. We were down, I think it was 3-1 at one point. Uh, we had lost first sets on, uh, I think, four of the courts. It did not look good, but we have we have just a great group of guys. Like we do, we have these super seniors that have been around for a while. We got Trent Bride on court three. We got Phil Henning on court two. We got Blake Croyder on court four, and these guys have been incredible for this program. And I want to give a lot of credit to Trent Bride. I know a lot of you don't watch Georgia tennis. You don't know a lot of the names, but Trent Bride. Came in as a freshman, played court three for us, which is really good for a freshman. And then for a couple of years, played court one. And he did some really good things for us. Looked like he was going to be a, maybe the next great court one player for Georgia. And if you guys aren't familiar with court one, it means that's where you put your best singles player. And um, things kind of, kind of I don't want to say they fell apart for him, but things kind of didn't go the way he wanted. And last year, Trent not only dropped off of court one, we got a transfer in um, from Tulane that played court one for us last year. He was just a one-year transfer. He's gone. But... Trent dropped down to like court five at points last year, guys. Court four is really where he ended up most of the season. And for a dude that played court one for a couple of years, like that's a very humbling experience. I don't know if I would have handled that very well. I mean, that's just a shot, man. Like, I'm not saying Trent had a big ego, but like, when you play sports, you like, that's that's tough to swallow. It's a tough pill to swallow to move from court one, like the best singles player, down to like court four as an upperclassman. That's tough. But you know what? Trent never complained. Trent's been a great teammate through it all, through every bit of it. So I have been rooting for this guy so hard. And this season, he's moved all the way up to court three. He didn't start out on court three, moved up to court three. And he was down, and he lost the first set. It wasn't exactly pretty against Tennessee. And I was like, dear God, it's just it's, it's bad. We're down 3-1, and like, you know, on court five, Tidor Juska, who's a guy that transferred from Clemson, done some really good things where he kind of stabilized court five for us and given us some good depth down there. Like he was about to win. So I was like, oh, you know what? Okay, it's going to be, you know, 4 2 because it's basically four to seven points, right? And um, I was like, okay, at least we'll make it respectable. Because I, I mean, after what I saw from that that match, that first set of that match on court three with Trent Bride, I was like, this is not going to end well. And Phil Henning had some trouble on Saturday. And Phil on court two for us has been so... I love watching Phil. He's my favorite player, man. Just love this guy, the way he plays, the heart he plays with, he hustles. I mean, talk about mental toughness. This guy has got it, man. He's got the goods. 
Tough first set for him, too. And he came back, and uh, he stormed back and ended up winning that match. But it, it, it looked bleak for him, too. But Trent, man, just stormed back. And honestly, the guy he was playing against might have been better than... I mean, probably is better than Trent. It didn't matter. On that day, Trent was not going to lose. And he fought as hard as he possibly could. I mean, this guy was hitting like, he was good. He was a very good singles player. And Trent went to like serve volleying stuff. Trent, I got to give him credit. Realized he wasn't going to be able to consistently bang with the guy from the baseline. So he went to his game and Trent got really good athleticism and speed. He moves really well. He's a really good volleyer. He's really good at the net. And so he decided, you know what? I'm not going to play to this guy's strengths. I'm going to make him play to my strengths. Started doing some serve volley stuff, trying to get this guy to the net. And he turned this thing around and the guy kind of lost his composure and Trent won the freaking match in a tie break, and I could not, I'm just happy, and by the end of the match, by the way, guys, like, he was injured, and Trent was still grinding it out, and when the match was over, he basically collapsed onto the ground, just laying on the, on the court, so I gotta give a lot of credit to Trent Bride, um, man, I'm just so happy for the guy, I'm so happy for our team, it's just so awesome to be there and take that in, but to see Trent have that kind of success in a moment like that, in a game like that, or a match like that, that uh man, that was uh it was a heartwarming thing. So I was just pumped, man. It was such an incredible environment. So again, I challenge you guys, men's match, women's match, it doesn't matter. It's the best environment outside of Sanford Stadium on campus. So get out there, guys. It's free. It's totally a hundred percent free. The weather's getting better. Come on out, bring the family. We got two national title containers. Both teams are still undefeated in conference play. Come on out, guys. Come on out and see what I'm talking about. It's one thing to hear me talk about it. It's one it's a whole nother thing to come on in, come on out and take it in for yourself. So do yourself a favor and give it a shot, guys. Please give it a shot. I'm telling you. Uh, baseball, not as good news. Um, yeah, exactly what I've been talking about all season with baseball in these Friday five episodes. Um, yeah, we hit the ball really well. We, um, we don't pitch very well right now. Now it's God, we got swept and you guys didn't see it. We got swept by South Carolina. Now South Carolina is a really good baseball team this year. They're a top 25 team. But what made that one especially tough, like getting swept sucks. Like at least try to salvage one. But I told you guys last week, we have nothing. We have no answers on Sundays. It's it's just like a bullpen affair. We just have very little chance to win conference games against legit opponents with what we're trying out there on Sundays. It's just uh, it's not a good look. So what that does is puts a lot of pressure on our, our top two starters in the rotation. Jaden Woods on Friday nights, the number one starter, and Liam Sullivan. Both have been lights out over the past three weekends coming into the first weekend of conference play against South Carolina at home, mind you. And uh, we lost both those games. Obviously, we got swept. Jaden Woods pitched really well for us against a really good South Carolina lineup. We took a, uh, we took the lead into the ninth inning, and um, we just did what we did a lot of times last year. We blew the game. We uh, we blew the save in the ninth inning and lost that game. That was a that was a gut punch. That was a gut punch. And then like Saturday and Sunday had no chance. Like we just got blown out. Just got blown. Out. Sullivan did not pitch well. Got hit hard. Bullpen got hit hard, just wasn't wasn't good on Saturday. And so when you lose both those games, it's like, wow, well, we're about to get swept because I have zero faith in us winning baseball games on Sunday right now. We just haven't been doing it. Even against, you know, little such as the poor type opponents. Not, not even talking about SEC opponents. So, yeah, I'm, um, I'm not too uh, confident in our baseball team right now. We still hit the ball extraordinarily well. This is, and this is the story of Georgia baseball under Scott Strickland. We just can't put it all together. You know, one year we'll have dominant pitching, and we can't hit the ball to save our lives. Now we've 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 flipped it. We've got a dominant lineup, but we can't pitch to save our lives. It's just dear God, we just cannot put it all together, and it's frustrating, man. As somebody who who just again loves Georgia, whatever Georgia baseball, Georgia tennis, Georgia football, Georgia basketball, whatever you got the G, I'm all about you. 
And it sucks. And I want to be good at college. I want us to be good at college baseball. Because I love college baseball, guys. I mean, I love college sports. But you remember, you guys that have watched, if you if you take in postseason baseball, you know, watch the NCAA tournament, you watch those regional, super regionals. It's so fun to watch, man. And, you know, like, I know we, we were a national seed two years in a row, a couple years back. But we didn't make it out of a regional either year. And the year that we were, we were probably our best year happened, of course, be the COVID year, where things got cut short. And then there was no regional or no super regional, no college world series, nothing like that. I mean, who knows if we would have made it there, but that was our best team. Then coming off that, it's kind of been downhill. Yeah, we made the tournament last year, but we didn't host. Of course, didn't make it out of a regional. And uh, I don't know, man. I just, we have some good players. We just don't have enough of them compared to the competition, the SEC. Part of it's a facilities thing. It's hard to recruit when you don't have the facilities that some of these other programs do where you don't invest the kind of money that you need to in the program the way that other programs do. It sends a message to these players. It's tough, especially when you live in a in a baseball hotbed in the state of Georgia. There's there's really no excuse for it, other than that we just haven't committed the financial resources it takes to be successful at baseball. We simply have not, and that's that's the reality, guys. You, I mean, I'm not sitting here saying it's time for Scott Strickland to go. I'm not ready to, to go there yet. I mean, again, a lot of this is outside. It's kind of like the Mark Rick thing, right? Where, you know, maybe I'm a pretty good coach, but wasn't always fully supported from a financial standpoint and get the resources he needed to compete against the best teams in the conference on a consistent basis. That's kind of where we are. And, you know, I don't think Strickland's a bad coach, but we we don't recruit well enough, not relative to our competition in the league. We just don't. We don't recruit at a college World series level, not consistently. And right now I don't, I don't know. I don't know where the arms are coming from. I like some of these young guys that we've got on the pitching staff, but they're just, they're young, man. They're, they're not ready right now. I think long-term they can be good, but that doesn't help us this year. So I'm not ready to give up on the year yet. It's just one conference series, but man, that's a tough conference series to start with. Yes, South Carolina is very good. Getting swept at home to open conference play. You can recover from it, but it's certainly kind of, it, uh, it takes the vibes down a notch. So hopefully we can recover this weekend. We'll see. We're on the road at Auburn. Auburn's pretty good. They were a good team last year. We'll see what we got. But um, that was very disheartening last week, no doubt about it. But real quickly before I get out of here, I do want to give some love to the Georgia women's softball team. We're in the top 25, guys, number 16, and we are hitting the cover off the baseball. As good as our baseball team's been hitting the ball, I mean, our softball team's been hitting the ball even better. They're leading the SEC in just about every single major offensive category there is home runs whatever you want to look at they're leading leading the sec i mean we can absolutely crush the softball so i'm really excited about this softball team you know postseason softball is really fun too 24 and 6 right now doing some really really good things and hopefully they can keep that momentum going as well so i want to give them a shout out here before we get out of here but guys that's all i got for today gonna go watch some insulate tournament games here to see if some of those my bookie bets are gonna pay off for me but i hope you guys have a fantastic weekend got a women's tennis match this weekend on friday come on out guys 5 p.m weather should be really nice it's gonna be like in the 80s it's gonna be absolutely gorgeous if you're looking for something to do with the family that's cheap and awesome and fun come to athens Go to the tennis match. You definitely will not regret it. But have a fantastic weekend, whatever you choose to do. I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.